Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. For anyone building a brand right now, there are a lot of headwinds and tailwinds kind of around you, depending on where you are in the market. And one of the most challenging places to be, in my opinion, is building a beverage brand because a lot of you know the products are heavy, you're shipping a lot of liquid. And so you really have to learn how to build and expand your brand on the ground in retail and get your bottles or cans into people's mouths. And so I love to really dive into how to build a successful beverage brand in 2023 right now and some of the opportunities and challenges that exist. And so for this episode, I've invited on Noah Wunsch, who is the founder of Ruby, line of sparkling and non-sparkling hibiscus beverages. Noah, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. So I would love for you just to give a quick 30-second overview of what Ruby is. Yeah, 100%. So Ruby is a line of organic sparkling hibiscus beverages. Hibiscus is full of flavor and it's full of functionality. It's one of the most richly dense and antioxidant ingredients on the planet. So our whole idea is, can we really create a better-for-you beverage that delivers on the promise of better-for-you? So product integrity is really important for us, but that's Ruby. I love it. And so give some context in terms of how large the company is, about how many doors are you selling in, what types of retailers? Yeah, I mean, we're very focused on the natural channel. You know, we got that USDA organic cert right on the front. So we love co-ops. We love Whole Foods, who's our biggest customer and has been our partner from the get-go. Central market, fresh time market. I'd say we're probably in about 1,000 to 1,500 points of distribution across the U.S. at this point. But again, the focus for us is always on the natural channel. You know, I think one thing that's really great is you've been able to take something like a hibiscus water or a sparkling hibiscus drink and really create a much larger brand around it with Ruby. And so talk about your process and like, how do you elevate what's a relatively, you know, straightforward beverage into something that's more of a, a lifestyle and bringing out those benefits to everyone? Yeah. I mean, for us, it was pretty simple, which is we wanted to talk to consumers the way that we would want to be spoken to as consumers. So it's kind of always reverse engineering that perspective. If I was to envision a beverage brand that was my dream beverage brand, what would it look like? How would it sound? How would it talk to me? And that's really always kind of the touch point we come at the challenge, let's say. So it really started with that idea of how can we be consumer first in such a way that doesn't feel forced down people's throat, but they give kind of a social access point. No, I think that's awesome. I just like the iconography on the cans themselves looks really great. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced in building the brand? I mean, I say this all the time, but all of it. I mean, like you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is beverage is a really, really tough business. It's extremely competitive. It's extremely challenging. It's extremely expensive. So, you know, it's an exercise in getting punched in the head (laughs) and making sure that you get back up again, which, you know, 
it doesn't make it sound like fun, but you learn so much in the process that it kind of makes it worthwhile every day. Yeah, I definitely understand that. So like, as you've been expanding in retailers like Whole Foods, right? Like, I think you get this large footprint to be able to reach consumers. What are you doing to drive trial and get people actually picking up the cans? Yeah, for us, it's a lot of field marketing. You know, it's that idea of liquid to lips. Have someone try the product and you're one step closer to either creating a repeat purchase or at least a first time purchase. There's definitely a roadblock. I mean, they Again, you go to a beverage aisle, you look at the wall of beverage, and there are a thousand beverages in front of you. Are you thinking to yourself that day, you know what, I'm going to look for something new, I'm going to find something new? Or are you thinking, I want what I know and trust? So how are you breaking that stream and cycle of going for the new and convincing someone to try you? And a lot of that comes from field marketing and demoing. What are some of the best field marketing activations that you've been able to do in terms of like what's been really effective? And then are there any examples of things that were maybe a dud? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's demoing every single day, going to all the stores that we possibly can, sharing why this product is good and why you should try it. But you iterate on that. You know, the first time we did a demo, we showed up in a store without a tablecloth. It looked like trash. We didn't have cups. We didn't know how to serve this. We're buying cups off the shelf. And then you start making it a little better. You get a tablecloth and maybe it's unbranded to start. And then you realize, let's get a branded cloth and make it a little bit better. And you're like, is there something I can give out to the consumer? Maybe I'll make a postcard that they can take home too. So it's all about the idea of continuing to get marginally better each time. It doesn't have to be the best immediately, as long as you can get marginally better each time you do it. Are you still doing the demos yourself, you and the team, or have you worked with a third party to be able to really scale those out? So we do it all ourselves. We do hire independent VAs that we, as being brand ambassadors, that we interview, and we usually have them do a demo with us before bringing them on board. But we really have been committed to the idea of us doing this ourselves. You know, I've done probably a hundred demos myself with my brand T-Squares that yeah. I used to run. And so I know like firsthand just the experience of like being in the store and being people. I'm like, personally, I love it. But as you, it's like hard to scale as other needs for the business come up. And so what are the things that you're doing to make sure that your ambassadors are setting the right message and story to consumers? And are you tracking the results or how do you kind of build that excitement for the brand? Yeah, I mean, we're tracking the data, certainly. I mean, like whenever a demo happens, the brand ambassador is supposed to report the numbers of units that were sold. And usually we do it in an account that reports their data on a weekly basis. So we're able to cross-reference, you know, numbers sold versus how many we sold at that store on a weekly basis. But that's also the import of making sure that a brand ambassador does at least one demo with an internal team member so that they can learn from how we're educating on the product and so that we can see them in action and see how comfortable they are with the messaging too. I love that. So I know demos are big. Are there any other field marketing tools that you've used? I know like rebate programs have been really big recently. A lot of brands are doing like more like a ton of quarterly promotions or doing some deep discounts, anything else that you've tried? Oh yeah, all of that. Like everything. (laughs) You just need to throw it all at the wall, man. I mean, like we use Aisle. I love Tiffin. Tiffin has created something really great with Aisle. We do promos and TPRs, total price reductions. We do EDLPs in certain markets, everyday low prices. Merchandising, we get half end caps, full end caps, shelves. I mean, like it is everything. Like you can't just try one thing. You got to do it all. It's too competitive. So it really is just like you keep running, man. You just keep running. Are you at a point too? Because like, I know when I was doing this, like I don't, 
like I was trying to do my best to track like what's working and what's not. Like, are you trying to be like as data central as or forward as possible and thinking like, okay, let's see what's driving the measurable ROI. Or are you just like, we just need to get ourselves in front of people and we'll kind of worry about the exact you know, return later. <laughs> it's gotta be both. It's gotta be both. So for us, like we have an amazing intern working for us this summer, this kid, Jack Savage. And that's actually his name, a which is a dope name. <laughs> And he's a data scientist and like he's building computer vision models for us where like our merchandising team puts up the photos on Repsley and we've built an algorithm that'll essentially count the face things in cold and dry. So we'll be able to comp store by store. Okay, this store has three facings per SKU in cold, and we can see that it's performing 50% better than the other stores in that region. So a lot of it comes down to merchandising. Like it really can be that simple, but you know, like top shelf, is not going to be great. How do you get ILO? And seeing the associated data being so clear to merchandising is comforting and terrifying and <laughs> tells you what you need to work on. No, I love that. You know, one of the biggest challenges I see every founder going through is making that jump, I'd say like above 400, 500 doors when you just can't possibly know like what's going on in person at every store. And so yeah. is that how you've been able to kind of manage or at least get a hold on at least like the trends that are happening, right? You can't know every single store necessarily, but like the trends that are happening and the problems and the successes. Yeah, look, you said it perfectly. Like you reach a point where you're not going to be able to know how every single door is performing. You should ideally put up practices and things for the team to do. Like yesterday, we do this thing called the Super Bowl sales day where our entire team will hop on a Google Hangout. We'll all mute each other or mute ourselves. And on the phone, we'll just hit the line. We'll call stores in whatever region. We have a DC open with Unify or Kahee. We'll offer them discounts on case deals. But we don't always have insight into whether we're in the store or not already. So like, you know, I called one yesterday and they were like, you're in here. You're in this store already. And you're not selling well. Like you're not selling at all. And I'm just like, okay, uh, oh, <laughs> and you know, it doesn't, it, you can hear a million stores tell you that you're selling super well. If one store tells you that you're not selling well, it's just like, oh God, your heart gets ripped out. Yes. I'm but, curious, about, like, what did you do on that call? Like, how did you respond? I just thank them. I thank them for giving us a try, period. Like, to your point, we're not going to sell in every store, man. Like, you got to get comfortable with that. In that instance, I think we said, you know, do you allow for promos? We'd love to do a TPR with you or something. And they're like, we really don't do promos. And I was like, out of curiosity, are we on cold shelf? Are we on dry shelf? They're like, you're on dry shelf. And I was like, can we get on cold? Because like, you know, we're a cold beverage. So being on dry shelf, we're not going to move as much. And we'd love that chance. And they were like, we'll think about it. And, you know, at that point, you just say thank you. Because it is true. Like, they gave you a shot, man. Like, you're not going to sell everywhere. And you got to get comfortable with that. And you don't want to annoy people. So, you know, wait for the day when you got brand penetration. Everyone wants to have you in store. It's going to take time. Yeah, it completely is. And you know, it's interesting because I found that those in-store like relationships are what make or break brands, but it's so challenging, right? You're selling a thousand plus doors to build those and maintain them when they're all leaving their positions. But in that case, it, I was almost like, ah, maybe next time you guys like offer the buy him, like, you know, buy them their team, like a hundred dollar lunch or something, <laughs> you know, just be like, Hey, we just want to thank you. You know, you're working hard and maybe it'll just happen to end up on the cold shelf, but <laughs> Oh, look again, the outside of the box opportunities and some swag to them, send little neck hangers, 100%. There's ways to obviously ingratiate. And it's about whether it's the right door to do that in or not. 
you know, I think it's just a huge tell that like you're actually calling with your team doors that you're selling in just to start building those little relationships at a time because 90% of the brands, at least at the, you know, mid-size to smaller scale just aren't doing that. They're so focused like behind the computer screen or maybe selling at the top of the organization. They're not really thinking about the store level. And I think as you've hit on too, like that ground game and knowing what's going on at the store makes a huge difference. Yeah, no, look again, like there's only so much you can do a computer there is like there are a list of maybe 50 accounts that are life-changing for most brands period and like they review maybe they have an open review period so like you know you'll keep hitting on that door but most of them usually have a review process that's like once or twice a year so you know you break that down what are you able to do in front of your computer on a daily basis every single day we played that game in the beginning and pretty quickly realized like that this work is out on the streets. Like you have to get out there and it's hard. I get the inclination to stay behind the computer. It's really hard getting out there, but that's where the change can kind of take place. So one thing I want to ask you about too, I'm curious about being based in New York, the New York City market is definitely like different from a lot of other places. There's a lot of smaller independent stores. Like it's almost like DSD on steroids, just in terms of people going up and down the street selling. What's been your experience getting Ruby kind of on shelf within the New York City market? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, it's all hard. Oh my God, I hate it. Sometimes it can be like a lot of whining and whinging, man. So I'm hard. You know, I think the biggest misconception is that like you're going to launch your business and you're going to find a distributor immediately and they're going to be so grateful and glad that you showed up your beverage brand out of nowhere. I, I think if you're coming into the business thinking that like you're going to get humbled really quickly. For me, I was fortunate that I had a lot of founders kind of tell me what was what before we started the business. And they were like, your job is to work for the distributor. The distributor doesn't work for you. Your job is to work for the distributor. And you need to make the case that you deserve their time. And I stand by that. Like that you are not putting food on your distributor's plates until you are. And when you are, great. Like at that point, the relationship relationship shifts, which is cool. But until that happens, be grateful to your distributor. Ask them how you can help them. Get out there in the team. Do remerches with them. Help stock shelves. Do whatever you have to do to help your distributor, period. That's like the most important thing for us. Like we really appreciate what they do for us and we try to let them know that we're here to support them. That's awesome. How often are you doing kind of like ride alongs with distributors these days or like your internal team doing that? Whenever they let us, 100%. But usually for each distributor, depending on the region, I would say probably monthly. That's awesome. In between different team members, it depends. But yeah, I would say monthly feels about right. I'm curious to know, kind of as you're growing, you're expanding with a natural channel, where do you see the next opportunity? Is it just continue getting deeper inside of natural? Are you looking at conventional at some point? Are you expanding within food service? Kind of what are you looking at next? All of the above. You know, I think conventional will be an opportunity we really start testing out next year. That's We'll have been in business for three years in March of 2024, and that feels like the right time to start playing around with conventional a little bit. We're playing around with food service right now. So it's, you know, leave no rock unturned. Like corporate's an opportunity. Collaborations are an opportunity. Everything is an opportunity if you kind of turn it the right way. So we're focused on all of it, which is a lot. (laughs) But, you know, you got to take every shot. Being a beverage brand, especially, how are you thinking about digital marketing for Ruby in terms of both the awareness building and advertising side of it, organic side, and also e-commerce? 
I think we'll probably do more with digital marketing in the next year or so. The only place we really do digital marketing right now is on Amazon. Like my whole principle is just fish where the fish are. If you're people on Amazon, you've got a credit card out, period. So like people are ready to buy things. Whereas if you're advertising on Instagram, there's a lot of eyeballs. It's really powerful. There's no question about that. But there's a 50-50 chance that people actually are on there to buy something. Most of the time, they just want to look at content. So I'm just trying to think like, where is the most valid place to hit people with marketing so that I can capture them with their wallet out and convert them? Are you doing anything that's more like high level top of funnel awareness? Or are you really just going closer to, like you mentioned, like Amazon and these decision points? I think it's really Amazon, man. I mean, look, we do like brand marketing is different. We do a ton of brand marketing, which is, you know, our events, our emails, our website, and like some of the collaborations that we do there. But when it comes to like straight up CPA and all that stuff, like it's really Amazon, it's fresh direct, like Thrive Market, like these amazing platforms where, again, you have people who are naturally minded, let's say, who want to buy. Yeah, I think that's key. And I'm glad that you're doing so. Listen to a podcast with Allison from Haven's Kitchen. And she mentioned kind of this, there's talking about this difference between building a brand and building a business. And that a lot of new founders, especially are more so focused on building a brand and like sharing like really cool images and talking about their story, but kind of in like a paid way and not really focus on like building the fundamentals and getting customers actually purchasing their products and the first and second and third time. And so I think it's also a lot of times by necessity too, but like really focused on like, how can you reach customers when they want to buy? How can you like find them on places like Amazon? I'm very pro Amazon myself. I don't know if it's still true, but a number of years ago, water was actually the top selling grocery category on Amazon, yeah. which like seems kind of weird that like beverage actually is fairly big. It was like water, coffee, and some other things. It was like people don't want to lug around like giant cases of, of water and soda and stuff everywhere. So a lot of people actually do like buying those things online. So I think that's awesome. In looking for the next couple months, what do you think? are going to be the biggest challenges that yourself or other CPG brands are going to face? I mean, look, everyone's talking about the fundraising environment right now, and understandably so. I think there's a duality to that, which is, you know, it is hard getting funding right now. It was easier in the past, no question. And that created low barriers to entry so that the space continued to get more and more competitive. Because it's getting more difficult for there to get funding, it means that it's becoming slightly less competitive, which means that if you can survive through this period, pardon me, there's real opportunity on the other side of that. But surviving is difficult. I say that as someone who like, you know, we're fundraising, like everyone's always fundraising right now. And it's not easy, but there's opportunity in that as well. So that's one of the challenges. But the other challenge is the competitive nature. And I don't know if that's going to correct itself or not. I talked to an amazing guy who's been in CPG forever. And he was sharing with me, he was like, you know, in the early 2000s, if you created a business that did 30 million in revenue annually, you had eight people trying to acquire you. Now, if you're doing 150 million in revenue annually, you might have one person who's interested and like maybe they'll come in and throw their hat in the ring and like think about that. That's crazy, man. That's 5x of what used to be the norm and that would start a bidding war. And now it's kind of like we'll dip our toe in and see if maybe we'll make a strategic investment like 
that tells you how competitive this business has gotten. It definitely has. And I think on the other side too, as we've seen a lot of larger companies have not been able to execute on a lot of their strategic acquisitions as well. And so that's slowing a bunch of those up as well. But I am excited to see, as you mentioned, like the companies who have built great fundamentals and have a great business and have a great product are going to be the ones to succeed. And that's just, you know, business building. But I think it's really, really great, in my opinion, at least to see a lot of people getting back to that. And like, how do I actually build a business that could be a high growth business, but something that's designed to be around versus something that's purely designed to be acquired? And I think that that's yeah. where there's some real excitement around. A hundred percent. Noah, thanks so much for being on the show today and for sharing more about your journey and your experience. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for everything you're doing in the space, dude. Appreciate that.